on this week if you'd like to participate and uh, grow more. We also have opportunities of putting uh, food for the food pantry and sharing the harvest. We're helping with Helping Hands right now, which is a great organization, Christian organization that distributes food throughout the city. And also the baby change for babies whose unwed mothers or mothers can't afford uh, diapers and wipes and stuff that we can provide them for. Also, too, if you'd like to read the Bible, we have several, three different opportunities to do so. One through the New Testament, which is much easier, and two through the Old and New Testament with different paces to do it at. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Let's stand together and let's worship our God with the solid rock. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest way, but holding me on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking Spells his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging In every high and stormy gap, my anchor holds within the bed. On Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking sand. tells us that if we confess our sins to the Lord, they will be forgiven. Please join me with this prayer confession. Lord, we come to you seeking your forgiveness for our sinful, foolish ways, for the times we spoke harshly when words of gentleness would have been appropriate and more helpful. We confess there were times we pushed and demanded our way rather than making the needs of others more important than our own. We admit the times we have had a hard time forgiving others who hurt us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can forgive others like you forgave us. All this we pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our assurance for, for, of forgiveness today comes from Psalm 32, verse 3. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Our guidelines for living comes from the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. Help us, one and all, to carry out the works we are called to do as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven.
Let's continue in worship and let's stand together as we sing our choruses.
Is a peace that the world cannot give. It's a peace that the world cannot understand. Peace to know, peace to live. My peace, I give unto you. It's a love that the world cannot give. It's a love that the world cannot understand. Love to know, love to live. time we'll receive our morning tithes and our morning offerings. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we just are so grateful for the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for this life and for the friends and family and the love that we have around us, for food and clothing and for this country. Lord, I just pray that you'll bless all these, Lord, and give yourself glory because you've done a great job. Help us, Lord, to enjoy them fully the way you meant them. And bless these folks who give in Jesus' name. Amen. thank you for this beautiful day that we have, Lord, to share with you. We thank you for the body of Christ, who we've come together, Lord, now to worship you, to learn from your word, and to grow. And today, Lord God, we especially bring to you our country with the many things that are going on, uh, the inauguration, and we pray for our president-elect and also our president who's going out of office. I just pray, Father, for peaceful and, and uh, a wonderful transition. We pray about the future for our country. Uh, we want the best for it. We want your best, God. 
and we pray that you'll work mightily um, through what is going on in the places of life. We pray especially, Lord, for those who will be um, guarding and for the soldiers that are away from their families. We pray for all those who are defending our country on many foreign lands. We pray also, too, for police, fire, EMS, nurses, doctors, teachers, all them who've had made some tremendous sacrifices and adjustments, um, both from helping the children learn to uh, helping uh, spending time in places where the infections are great for the COVID. We thank you, God, too, for the virus, the vaccines that have come out. We just pray, Father, they can get distributed for those who, um, Lord, need them and that uh, can get um, uh, this health back of this country back and get back rolling. We pray especially for some of those who are laid up in our congregation. We think of Lucille and we think of uh, Kay. Uh, we think of Joyce. We think of a young man by the name of Christian who's back is really in bad shape and just pray for healing for him we pray for frank walker and his health that's been challenged and we pray also for um, uh, mary father god and for stan i pray also too for susie and her back we pray for betty and and howard as they are recovering from their cancers we pray also too lord for um, mary who lost her husband we think also of um, Jean McReynolds, who lost her husband this past week, Lord, we pray for her and give her strength, Father, in her grief. We pray also, too, for those that are dealing with addictions. We think of Ryan and Jordan and <clears throat> Brady and for Eric and Ricky and others, Lord, that we know that are battling, right? Mitch, um, Jesus, we lay them before you, Christ. And we pray for others that maybe we didn't get to, to, to lay out there, Lord. We pray um, that, Lord, be with um, Oscar um, and his family, Father, as um, uh, some of the challenges that he has, especially um, being shot um, and his family uh, being affected. I pray um, that uh, that tragedy, God, that you can bring healing to our community. We pray also for our, our society right now in Wichita with our murder rate already starting to move beyond what was last year at a pace. We just pray, Lord, that the violence will stop. We pray for healing for our nation. Give us the ability to reach out to people too in this time of COVID that people are locked away and with their own thoughts and whatnot, Lord. Uh, we pray also too about those who um, are planning to maybe commit suicide, Father. We just pray for someone to reach them and change that, Lord. Lord, there are many thoughts in our hearts and minds right now, many sadnesses in our community, but we know that you've got a great hope for us. And we pray today as we <clears throat> look into your word and that you teach us um, how to have hope in very desperate times and very hard times. We thank you for Peter's message that you inspired him to preach. Lord, help us to hear what we need to hear and heal our hearts, Lord. Strengthen our hearts. Give us what we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of us have gone through things in our life that have basically crushed us. Some of those things that can overwhelm us and can disappoint us. How many times have we had it? We're suffering and can destroy our faith and make us feel that wondering even why and get disappointed with God. Sometimes the pain and anguish tempts us to just want to give up and surrender and not want to continue on. The Apostle Peter here is writing to a group of Christians who are running because of their lives. Nero is the emperor now. He's the new sheriff in town. Peter had already been persecuted before Nero got on the scene. In fact, we know there were times that he was arrested for preaching the gospel in Rome and Jerusalem and all the places of the world. Not only were the Romans after him, but so were the Jews. And the Jews believed he was apostate. And in the book of Acts, we see the disturbances that come to the families. 
We saw how Saul, a man by the name of Saul, pulled Jason out of his house and beat him before some Christians. We saw Stephen, who also Saul was at, who was the prosecutor who pulled Stephen out from his preaching and had him stoned. This is nothing new for the Christians, but Peter is now preparing these young men and women who are new in the faith and who are scattered because there's a new sheriff in town by the name of Nero. And if you remember what Nero was like, Nero wanted to make a name for himself and take Rome and make it a, basically an idol for him. And so he started burning down methodically, but the people didn't know it was him that was burning it. And as he began to realize that a lot, of the popular, a lot of the populace was tired and angry and they thought he was burning it down, he needed a group of people who he could pin it on, a scapegoat for them to be persecuted. And so what he found is this group of people of Jesus followers by the name of Christians. And in 64 AD, he began to persecute them and say that they were the ones that were burning Rome down. That's why they had to flee. They were, of course, beaten, taken out of their homes. There were many gossip things were said about them. We talked about last week how they were considered to be cannibals who drank the blood and ate the flesh. They were also confused of orgies because they had these love feasts. Even though that was all rumor, they were dragged behind chariots. They were put, some of them were put in jackets of animals and dipped in oil and then used to light the gardens while they were still alive in Nero's backyard. This is what was happening. They were taken to uh, lions and they were thrown in the Colosseum. It was sport to watch Christians get eaten alive. And it's to this group that the Apostle Peter is speaking to to encourage them. And last week we talked about how he talked about them being called by God for this particular situation. And how the Holy Spirit was working inside them. And that the Jesus Christ was sprinkling with blood and sanctifying them. And it's now that Peter speaks this message to them of encouragement. Give them substance of which they can handle these crises, these hurts, these deep hurtful things when they lose loved ones because of the cause of Christ. And Peter wants them to be able to stand strong. And so he does. I don't know about you, but I've had some friends who are missionaries who were killed for what they believe. I remember as a child sitting in my car with my family as we heard one of the missionaries Nieces talk about her aunt and uncle who were murdered by the Chinese and how she would weep and her cousin who was smuggled out of China after they were murdered by the military. We had another friend that was not too long ago in New Jersey that was visiting on furlough. And when he went back, he was accused and he was murdered in his study for leading a woman to Christ and her husband said that he was cheating on her and it was all false because he never met with her without his own wife. And he never, this man who murdered him, never received any penalty for their crime. Or even to a pastor in this town whose daughter was in missions in a Muslim country. She's sitting at a traffic light. And when she was sitting at a traffic light, she was hit in the back end by a Muslim. And because she was in that Muslim country, an infidel, taking up that space, it was her fault that he hit her. And she was given sentence. And also um, she had a, her father and mother had to go over and buy her out of jail so that she wouldn't have to sit five years in jail because she was an infidel. We saw it in World War II. One of my favorite heroes was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who stood up against the, Russian regime, uh, the German regime of Hitler. And because of it, he was taken to Buchenwald Prison. And then later on from there, he wound up in Flossenburg. And there, they killed him. And as he walked to the area where he was going to be hanged, he got on his knees and prayed. One of the SS doctors watched him. 
And they heard him say, this is the end. But for me, it's only the beginning of life. He faced his own death. So today, the word of God speaks to us. And notice what Peter says to us. As we face trials, grief, frustration, persecution, all kinds of things that can happen in this life. Peter begins with blessing God. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to attain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for the salvation already revealed in the last time. It's in this you greatly rejoice. Peter starts out with praising God. He praises God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's excited. Because he knows God has this all in his plan. And that he knows that God's in control. No matter what happens in our lives, he knows God has got it. And notice what he's saying here. He's saying that God knows exactly what's going to happen. Every once in a while, I'll come across a Christian who will say, Well, after all I did for God, that's the way he allowed me to be treated. After all I've given to him. You see, Paul and Peter don't see it that way. They feel blessed that God has given them the privilege to suffer for him. They are privileged by God. That they know God's got their best interest. And there are some people who say those kinds of things. But really, they would say to you, are you kidding me? All that God has given you? And that's what Peter wants us to see today. He wants the people that are going to be persecuted that he knows out of his congregation that are going to experience a lot of pain and suffering in their life. That they can praise God. Because of what he's done and what he's going to do. Paul said it so well. He said, put it into perspective. He says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy in comparison to what will you receive in eternity from Christ. You see, that's the perspective we need to have as we go through these trials and tribulations. That we have a greater hope for the future. Even though it's painful for a while. That God has done a great thing. And he has blessed us. And notice what he says. Who according to his great mercy. We are blessed because God is merciful. We, if we got what we deserve. If people would say, well I wish God would give me what they deserve. No, you don't want that. Because he could take you out. If he gave you what you deserved. Peter is saying because he is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve for our sins. And instead. He gives us what we don't deserve. Which is his grace. And an abundant fullness of life. If we trust him. And he shows us. That even though we're sinners. God, by his mercy, doesn't give us what we deserve. In fact, it's an abundance of his mercy, according to his will, that doesn't give us what we deserve. And it's not something he sees in you and me. He knows who we are. He knows what we do. But because of his mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. In fact, he gives us life. Notice what he says here. Because of that mercy, he, and it's all part of God's character, this mercy is. God is a gracious God. He's a merciful God. And he causes us to be born again. He changes our hearts that doesn't want God's way, that doesn't want to live a righteous life, that wants to live our rebellious life. And instead, he makes us born again. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
God fathered us to be able to be born again and to be changed and to be regenerated and want the things that he wants. When we give our lives to Christ, it's because he has worked in our hearts to change our hearts to desire the right things from him. And that's what causes us to be born again. And he says, born again to a living hope. What's this living hope stuff? He's talking about something that takes place inside of us. God taking, and it's a past, present participle that is constantly working inside of our hearts. And this hope is grounded in God's promises, but also in Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. It's a power that raises the body from the dead. This living hope works inside of us to give us the power to live beyond ourselves and to live this hope. How many times we've been hopeful for things and they get dashed and they get thrown and, 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 they, and, and we lose our hope. We get disappointed. Time even destroys our hope sometimes. It makes it fade. He says, no, this is a living hope that will never be taken from you. It's a living hope because Christ's power of the resurrection is living in you, spurring this on. And he goes on to say, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. That means when we get this, it's an inheritance that God has put for you aside. Nobody, no one can take it away because you've inherited and he's given it to you. And it doesn't perish. It can't be taken away. It can't be robbed by Satan. It's imperishable. It can't be destroyed. It can't be defiled, damaged. Because it's from God. It's eternal. And it doesn't fade away like a lot of the hopes that we have in our lives and the things that we hope for that all just fade. This doesn't fade. Notice what he says. It's reserved in heaven for you. That means that God has set it aside just for you. I know I've gone to hotels sometimes and I thought I had a reservation. And then they tell me, no, we never reserved a room for you. The Bible says it's reserved for you. And you can count on it. Nothing will take it away from you. Nothing. Nothing can change the purity and the beauty of it for you. This is what we have as Christians. That God has given to us out of his mercy. And notice, it can't be bothered or taken by. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, Paul says. Why? Because in verse 5 it tells why. Not only in verse 4 it says it's reserved for you. But you're protected. Why? Because of God's powers protecting it. And nothing can take God's love away from you as a child of God. And it's by the power of God that you have through faith that's a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It's something that you will experience in the future. And that nothing can tarnish it, take it away. And what a wonderful hope. And that's why he says, you folks, no matter what happens to you on this life, no matter what attacks you, whatever breaks you, as you come to me, the merciful one, with the power of the resurrection, give you life. That you can rejoice greatly. That there's hope beyond this life that cannot be damaged or dissuaded. In fact, you're kept for glory. This is a fascinating thing that Peter is saying. That this is why we can rejoice so greatly. Because when you die and you go through the trials and difficulties of your life. And that God has carried you through them by faith in him. That they become treasures. And they're guarded by his glory. And then you will experience them on a whole new level. With Christ, who you'll have honor and glory and praise with him because of your faithfulness to him. 
If you want to get an idea of what this is all about, I was trying to think of a way to talk about this. And especially women, you know this. Women who've given birth to children, you know the challenge and the grueling nine months that you go through of feet swelling and you're feeling sick to your stomach or you're in all the things of changes in your body and the frustrations and the mood changes and all the stuff. And then you come to that ninth month and it's time to give birth to that baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> I had a woman who gave birth to our first child and said, you're having the second one. She was so angry about it because it was painful. But it was amazing to me that after we had that first child, three years later, we had a second child. She had forgotten all the pain she went through. And then three years after that, she forgot all about that pain again. And guess what we did? We had a third child. And the joy that we have with those kids and the blessings they've been for our lives is tremendous. But the pain that she had to go through to bring them into the world. And you see, this is what Peter is saying to us as Christians. You're going to go through those painful events in this life. You're going to go through the trials and tribulations. But when we get to heaven, folks, it is going to be so far beyond what we could ever imagine. And the joy. You know, there's a book out right now by a pastor down in Texas. who says, your best life now. Let me tell you. Peter's not saying that. He said, your best life is coming. Your best life now, if this is all that you can hope on, you're in trouble. Because the best life is yet to come. That's what Peter is saying here. And that even though you go through difficulties and trials in this life, and pain and suffering, it's nothing. Compared to the joy and the gladness you're going to experience in heaven. But he doesn't neglect what's going to happen to them. He's very realistic. That's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't mince words. It tells us how it's going to really be. And that's what Peter does. He says, yes, you're going to have all this rejoicing. And keep your focus on that. And keep your focus on the joy that is waiting for you as you walk through these difficulties in life and realize that there's going to come a day then all that will pass and it will be nothing as important as being with the Lord and the joy that you have then and the rewards that you will receive. And that's what Peter does. He talks about the refinement. He says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you do not see him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, but believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. A preacher's pretty realistic here. Notice what he says. It's going to happen. You're going to have trials. And notice what he says in that first line. Even though now for a little while you're going to experience, God has the timetable for that. And there's going to be moments in our lives that we're going to experience for a while. Trials. Trials in our lives. But he's in control of the time. And for us, sometimes those various trials or that, that, that little while seems to be a long time. But compared to eternity, it's not. And notice what he says then. He says, if necessary. There are things that are necessary that you and I need to go through. Trials that we need to go through to reprove us, correct us. Some of it's for other people, but we go through it so they can watch us in our faith going through them. And God has those all planned for us. 
Those vary, and he uses a word that is used for variegated colors, a bunch of colors. He says, these trials will come all different kinds in different ways and will affect us different ways, but they're going to be distressing. But he says, they're necessary. Why are they necessary? Dave, they're necessary for you to go through because you need changes in your life. You need to be refined and prepared for heaven. There are things I'm going to make you go through over here. And once you're done with those, I'm going to graduate you to this trial. And that's going to, this has prepared you for this. And then you're going to go through this trial. And this has prepared you for this. And keep on building you, Dave. Breaking you down, but then building you up so you can handle what I have for you and prepare you for heaven. And right here, right now, we take a moment and we stop. The book of James talks to us about two things, trials and temptations. Temptations are given to us by the devil. He wants to destroy our faith. He wants to pull us away from God. That's his main goal. And so he sends temptations our way. And the Bible says that we have a protection mechanism that God has put around us, that we will not be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. So God protects us from those temptations that come our way. But then God sends us trials. God puts trials in our life in order to build us up and make us stronger and more dependent on God and trust him by faith. That's what a trial is. And God sends them to us to make us better and stronger and able to deal. Last night I was listening to the Bills and they were talking about their quarterback had a weakness. And what they did is they set up in practices all these scenarios that would deal with that weakness so that he would learn how to deal with it and make him better. And now he handles those situations much better. That's what God does with us. He sends those various trials to make us better in order that we will be stronger. And then we can. And, and, and those trials can come financially. Those trials can come with our marriages. Those trials can come with our physical health. Those trials can come with our work and our vocations. All those things, they can come to make us stronger. And no better place can we find than in the Bible of Job, who was doing great with God, who was doing well, but he hadn't been tested. And that was Satan's deal with him. He said, you haven't put him to the test. You have basically made him a spoiled brat because he has everything. He's got riches and he's got animals and he's got children and he's got all that. But you take that away from him, God, and he'll curse you. And so God says to Satan, go ahead, but don't kill him. And Job goes through it. Even his closest friends and his wife tell him to curse God and die. Get yourself out of this. And Job faithfully follows God. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And he holds on to God. And God, he walks by faith, trusting God. And is restored at the end. And sometimes that's what happens with us. God sometimes has to bring things into our life to really break us. To change us. Sometimes God does it for us to help other people. Sometimes I know there are people who mean well to comfort other people, but they don't. Some of them because they've never been there through grief and don't understand how painful that can be. I know a woman who didn't understand mental illness and she was a good Christian woman and she meant well. But she continued to tell her friend that all she needed to do was think positive thoughts. The woman had a chemical problem in her brain and the wires were mixed up and she was overwhelmed. She had mental illness, not a positive thinking problem. You see, and sometimes we cannot understand that. 
And sometimes God has to bring that into us. And you see what the Bible here says, though, that God wants to prove our faith. You know, we, we hear, <laughs> I get to kick out all these commentators on TV, and they talk about all these teams, what they have. And it's not until they get on the field that we really know what they have. It's got to be tested. It's got to be proven. And God does that with our faith. We can say all kinds of things and we know all kinds of Bible knowledge and all kinds of stuff. But until we put our faith in Christ in the crisis and really trust him, that's when we find out the measure of faith. And that's what he says. So that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable and tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what God does with these trials. He puts us in his kiln. And it's fired up. And all this faith that we supposedly have. All this trust, he puts it in that smelting pot. And melts it down. And he begins to turn the heat up. And as he turns the heat up, it's purifying us in our Christian faith. And it's a purpose. It's a purpose so that we will be like Jesus. And it needs to be purified and made genuine. And what he does as he turns up that heat, he begins to bring to the top all the impurities. And we see it through the trials. And as that heat intensifies, he starts burning off the greed and the Impatience and the unkindness and our anger and our bitterness and our hatred and our selfishness and our lust. All that comes to the top and he scrapes it off. And we see what real faith and life are about in him. When like the old guys that were smelting the gold in the old, the New Testament... When they scraped all that stuff off, they could tell the purity of the gold by seeing the reflection of their faith in that gold. So it is with us that we see in Jesus' reflection in our faces as we go through those crises and we've been made pure because we've been tested by fire. And when we're tested by fire to found in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is that when we die, when Christ returns and when we meet him, all those things that we've gone through. And as we praise God and as we've trusted him and our faith has been tried and we found to be true. It gives glory and praise to Christ, but we also then receive from Christ the praise and glory and honor from him who is experiencing it and we're experiencing it through him. And it proves us to be true. This is what he's longing for. This is what God wants from our lives. And that he says to the people that are now second generation Christians in verse 8, and to us... Christians centuries later. And though you do not have not seen Christ. You love him. And though you do not see him now. You will believe in him. And will greatly rejoice in joy inexpressible. And full glory at that time. But in the meantime. These are necessary. To make us. They have eternal significance. So we can honor and praise him. And that we participate in that glorious time of joy. Unspeakable. That no earthly thing could ever even match. And notice what it says in verse 9. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Wow. When Jesus appears we will find this fully realized in our lives. And that the trials that we thought were useless or unfair were really instruments of God's grace 
to give us what greater joy in heaven with Christ and that we will be healed fully in that time. But then he says, I want you to remember this and I don't want you to not think that it's important. Recognize how blessed you are living now where you are at and what you're going through and what you fully understand. See, generations ago, they didn't understand all these things. They didn't understand what God did for us. It was a blank. And he starts, and he starts out, as to your salvation, he starts with the prophets. He says, the prophets who prophesied the grace of God, <clears throat> the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what the person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and in these things, which you have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. It's amazing what he's saying. He said, there are things that the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied. They did not even understand what they were saying. Think about Isaiah about a virgin being born. What was that about? He prophesied it, but he didn't know fully what it was about. When he said it, God put it on his heart. We in this generation know what he was talking about, but they didn't, Isaiah didn't. Or the suffering servant. He had no clue what that was about. That it was Jesus Christ dying on the cross. We know because we're seeing at it from the past. They were looking to the future. And they had. Sometimes they prophesied. They didn't even understand. And they had to search and try to figure it out. They didn't know it. And yet there was over thousands of prophecies made in the Old Testament. 300 specific about Christ. That were made that being born in Bethlehem, being born of a virgin, of the tribe of Judah. He would grow up in Galilee. He would work with all these things that were prophesied. They had an inkling, if not nothing, about what they were saying. But then the apostles came after Christ came and died. And he suffered. They revealed to the church what was predicted and by the Holy Spirit they preached and we understand it because we've been in the church and we heard the gospel and we've accepted it into our heart and we know it because the Holy Spirit made it alive to us through the preaching and notice what he says we are so privileged not only because we had the preaching and because the apostles preached it and put it all together. He said, these are things that angels who were since the beginning of time were with God, created beings who do not need to be saved, were watching and did not know what we know today about our salvation. They did not know it. They were looking and peering, and, and the words in the Greek mean tiptoeing, trying to see, like little kids, what was going on. Many of us know Michelangelo's um, The Lord's Supper painting. There was another man who took this, what Peter is saying here, the name was Tinto, and he made a picture of the Lord's Supper, and in his Lord's Supper, there are clouds above the Lord's Supper. And there are angels peering down on what Jesus was doing. And what he was showing us is that they were trying to figure out what he was saying in the Lord's Supper. What he was about to do. They didn't know. They were stunned when they saw that Jesus came to Bethlehem born in a manger. That was a surprise to them. And that's why they came out and they were just glorifying God. 
It was a surprise to them. And it was, uh, they're saying, God's got this great plan and he's coming to earth as a man. This is unbelievable. And we take it for granted. <laughs> and that's what Peter is saying here. Don't take it for granted. Recognize what God has done for us. Appreciate it. Accept it by faith. And that we'll be ready for at the last time. These things that were predicted that they didn't understand. And that we have no fear of death. No fear of the crisis we're going into. No fear of whatever's thrown at us. Because we can trust this sovereign God whose plan is there to save us. What a wonderful thing that we don't have to be fearful. Last Sunday night, finishing up watching one of the football games, I get a phone call. It's reads on my cell phone, it was Ron McReynolds' phone number. And in that call was Gene Reynolds. They sit right over here in first service. Ron's a deacon in our church. And I get the call. Now Ron has had, had cancer five years ago. And five years ago he was given chemo and cobalt and all that stuff to, and they killed the cancer. But in the process, he developed leukemia, blood cancer. And while the last 64 months, Ron has been battling leukemia, and he received 44 treatment. In fact, his body right now is up at the Kansas Medical Center because I want to know, how could he handle so much chemo? And I got a call from her, and she said, Ron collapsed in the bathroom. I got him up, and I talked to him, and I called the ambulance. They came, and they took him, and he coded out his heart in the ambulance on the way to the Wesley. And they worked on him. And then when they got him inside, they have been working on him, trying to bring him back. And so I ran down there to be with Gene and Ron. And uh, they were working on him pretty hard. And then the doctor finally came out and said, I'm sorry, but he's gone. What a tragedy. Great guy fought this cancer. But what a hope. Even though we were grieved, overcome with grief and sadness, this is what... Peter's talking about. And he's saying to us, you've got this heritage that's undefiled, cannot be tarnished or taken away, and that the glory of Christ will be seen, and it will not fade and will not be taken from on. And as the passage says, so the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, will be found to result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. And though we have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory that obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. And that night, my friend Ron went to be with Jesus, who had no fear of death. There was at peace now. No more battling cancer. No more sickness. No more feeling lousy. But now completely healed in the arms of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for this wonderful hope that we have. That we don't have to fear death. 
that you have taken care of it for us. And that we have a great hope. No matter what comes our way, we can handle it because you're by our side. And that we can trust you. And that we have an inheritance that's beyond, that will not fade away, that can never be tarnished and is held for us, guarded by you. Oh, what a wonderful hope, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this wonderful blessing and for the faith that we can continue to look to you no matter what we go through that you've provided for us very well in eternity. And it's through that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please rise for your benediction and closing song. Now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.